Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm your host, Mary Fran Johnson, the CEO of Mary Fran Johnson Media and a contributing columnist on CIO.com. Twice a month, we produce this video show and podcast to stream live to you on both LinkedIn and on IDG's Tech Talk channel on YouTube. Today's episode is sponsored by Cisco, the worldwide leader in technology that powers the internet. Cisco is inspiring new possibilities by reimagining your applications, securing your data, and transforming your infrastructure, all to empower your teams for the future. Learn more about what they're up to at newsroom.cisco.com. We welcome all of our viewers today, especially those that are joining us live, to take part in this conversation with and send in questions of your own. We'll be watching for those on the social media feeds on LinkedIn and on YouTube and doing our best to pass them along to our guest. And my guest today, I'm very pleased to welcome Kieran Venkamamidi, who is the Group Vice President and Global CIO of Driscoll's. Kieran joined Driscoll's in 2017 and then became the Global CIO of this California-based berry company the following year. Many of us likely enjoyed some of the company's products with our breakfast this morning. As the worldwide market leader of fresh strawberries, blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries, Driscoll's controls about one-third of the $10 billion U.S. berry market. Headquartered in Watsonville, California, this family-owned and operated company has been in business for more than 100 years and today is growing berries in 21 countries and selling them in 48. Now, before he joined the company, um, Kieran was part of the, uh, he was an associate CIO at Herbalife, where he spent 10 years at another multinational global company. And before that, he was a senior manager at EMC Corporation. Among the many topics we'll be touching on and discussing today are how the rise of touchless technologies accelerated during the past year or so, and what Kieran and his team are experiencing today on the leading edge of farm to consumer trends. Thanks so much for joining us, Kieran. It's great to have you here. Thank you, Mary Fran, for this opportunity. I really appreciate that. Yes. Well, I, uh, I'm sure we're going to have a very interesting conversation. There's so much going on in your field. Um, we usually start with that really big picture view of the disruption of the past year or more and the impact that that's had on your business. Uh, tell us how this has had an impact um, on, uh, on, on Driscoll's and what sort of uh, thinking it has changed for how you go forward with your business today. So um, Triscoll's, we are one of those lucky uh, businesses where the, the, the business was not that much impacted. Um, we have multiple sales channels that we sell through. Um, our retail business mm -hmm. was pretty strong. So companies like Costco's, Kroger's, and, and uh, Whole Foods, they, they, they were actually taking on additional orders. Mm -hmm. But we also sell to the wholesale business where we send, sell it into product. Um, uh, our product into the food markets, and that business all pretty much disappeared. Those are the ones that actually supply fruit to the hotels and, and restaurants and, and, and other areas. But that was completely compensated by additional requests for, for our product from the retail business. So we actually came off, um, uh, we were lucky in that way that we came off very well um, mm -hmm. last year. 
Well, one of the big topics on so many CIOs' minds these days are whatever the return to office or return to office building strategies are going to be. I think we've pretty all come around to, uh, calling it the hybrid workplace. And tell, tell us how that is going to work for Driscoll's and what kind of a pace or what sort of thinking you're bringing to that. Yeah, so um, uh, our IT department or IS department, Information Services Department, ha has been uh, the leading edge of piloting the hybrid uh, working mm -hmm. environment. Um, this is, uh, in a way, IS departments or IT departments, they, they, they always have been remote working or hybrid working, right? That there was not an option for us. Um, um, so at Driscoll's, we, what we are trying to do is not forcing any uh, particular methodology on the employees. Mm -hmm. uh, the company has decided that uh, it would actually give um, the responsibility to bring people in uh, based on the roles they are in. Um, so there is some independence given to the department heads yeah. to figure out role by role, which roles could be uh, enabled as a fully um, remote, uh, which mm -hmm. roles could be hybrid and which roles could be, uh, which should be on site, right? So, uh, and um, we are slowly making progress against that. Um, so I'm glad that I'm at this company where they, the keys have been given to the department heads to manage their departments as, as required. Yes, I know that seems a very, I've heard, I've had so many conversations with CIOs about, empathy and greater thoughtfulness on the part of everyone who's involved in the, all the situations over the last year or more. And I think that there is no great rush to try and return everything to the way it was in early 2020. Um, are you also, I know you have a very close-knit group of CIOs there in California that you stay in touch with. Is this what you're hearing from others across the board? Yes. Well, one thing we have to understand is every company is different. Every company is in a mm -hmm. business that has different parameters that they have to accommodate. But um, the conversations are pretty similar. There are mm -hmm. some companies that um, are very hands-on, so they have to come in um, and so CIS are empowering their teams yes. uh, to take the right decisions. Um, if there are opportunities for us to, through technology to enable their workforce to be hybrid or remote, they, that's where the CIOs are fully contributing. Mm -hmm. Well, and uh, you just mentioned, you said the IS group, and but for IS, you've actually changed the name of the technology services group at Driscoll's when you got there. That's part of... Uh, what you did as you became CIO. Uh, talk about that a little bit more. So um, I wouldn't take that credit for myself. I was uh, fortunate enough before my current job and in previous job as well, I had worked under great leadership. Mm -hmm. And um, that leadership has uh, ingrained in me what this information technology or services is all about. It, yeah. At the end of the day, my department is a service organization. Mm -hmm. So by changing the name to uh, information services, I wanted to make sure that the entire department understands and takes it to heart when, yes. when, when they're actually working for the business to empower the business to make sure that business is successful. So mm -hmm. how can we become better partners by offering the services that we, we bring to the table? So Excellent. Yeah. I run into other versions of that where CIOs have renamed it 
digital services or digital solutions or digital delivery. Um, there's just a lot of, I think that that brings a more expansive view of the role that, um, that IT has been playing in so many companies over the last few years. Um, just before we leave the topic of returning to the office, what kind of, do you have any specific advice because you have a great deal of leadership experience, both at EMC and, and Herbalife and, and now at Driscoll's, when you think about navigating the coming year, what are the sort of, what sort of advice are you imparting to others? Or would you tell your younger self, I guess, when you think about the things that you should, have, you mentioned taking it thoughtfully and going easy and all, but um, for people that are going to be coming back to hybrid work, workplaces, the office and home, what sort of advice do you have? I, I think um, we should, uh, for me, it's four uh, things that are very important. One is make sure that whatever plan it is, it's individualized, right? So it is um, understand your team, understand the team members that are part of your team uh, and, and try to work out a plan with them. Because mm -hmm. there are people uh, within my team, in spite of IS saying that uh, we are going to be fully remote, for the foreseeable future, a few of the team members came back and said, I can't do that. Right. Can you find me a space? So it's a complete <laughs> counterintuitive, right? So um, mm -hmm. it has to be an individualized plan, number one. Number two, define the expectations. What are the, what are the expectations uh, that, that you have to set when, when you're saying that people can work remote or hybrid or on-prem? On mm -hmm. uh, make sure that um, the uh, promotions, uh, the, the recognitions, all of that are, are equalized among the entire team. It's not uh, lopsided towards uh, people coming into work versus come people uh, staying at home. Uh, the third one would be to make sure that you trust your team, build that trust. And yes. and then that, that could be accelerated by uh, having those individualized plans, right? Because once, you, mm -hmm. once the team members understand that it's not a generic plan that, that uh, people are pushing on me, um, have the, the, the trust bill, so you have to have regular uh, meetings with the, mm -hmm. with the team members and groups of team members and and, and figure out what works. And, and the last but not the least, uh, believe in the talent. That, that at yes. the end of the day, your team members are always trying to do the right thing for the business. And how mm -hmm. do you, what can you do to support them in their journey? Uh, because this is something that is unique, right? So. On March 17th last year, 2020, nobody knew how how March 18th will work yeah, for right. anybody. All yes. of a sudden, on March 17th, we were given a directive: everybody goes home. Yes. And and, and uh, suddenly, March 18th worked out. March 19th worked out, and here we are on uh, June 16th, 2021, and still working. And and uh, yeah. some of the companies have thrived through that period. So. Mm -hmm. Leave in your talent. So those are the four major things that I would actually keep in mind. Yes. Well, good. That's that's re actually really good advice. Well, and that may also be why you had mentioned that inside of Driscoll's for the other senior executive teams, um, a lot of the 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 new approaches that get tried out get tried out first with you and the information services. Yeah, the changes, right? Pretty. They, 
change is pretty standard in, in IS department. So yes, it, it, it comes natural. And if, if we can't adapt to the change, then you can't be in IS department. So. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it all reminds me of that old Dilbert cartoon where he's saying, change is hard. Yes, you right. go first. <laughs> so, so essentially the Driscoll's management says to like, Let's see what let's see what Kieran's going to do. We're going right. to throw this out there. Now, I do understand that you're you've already made some changes in the physical plant. Like you do, you used to have an entire building with your your IT team worldwide is about 200 people. And I know I should be calling them the IS team, your information services team, about 200 worldwide. But you've now already decided you're going to be able to give that building back for space for other things. Right. We actually um, released the lease on that building. Um, mm -hmm. We are taking a small portaling space within one of our headquarters. So if any one of our team members want to come in, there are offices and, and uh, cubicles that are set aside. Yep that Great. we can register um, and then walk into that office to work from there. Yeah. Well, and one of the, the things we talked about, and I mentioned it in your, in your introduction, that there was, if anything, the, there was an acceleration in the acceptance and the rollout of touchless technology and touchless equipment. Uh, tell us more about that. What kind of, uh, what sort of inroads did you make with some of the technology improvements that probably were on your drawing board to begin with? but we're able to accelerate in the past year? So um, one of the things that we had was um, we, we're being an essential business means you have to be in business, right? So and you have to make sure yes. that um, all the protocols that were coming out as part of um, this pandemic uh, forced on us, whether mm -hmm. washing your hands, checking your temperature, taking tests uh, in farms, people don't realize that, uh, that some of the things that you take uh, for granted in an office environment, yes. um, cannot we can't actually have some some of those technologies in the farm. Um, right. When you're actually taking a temperature reading outside of your face, mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, there is sunlight and it's hot, so how do you take? So we they, we have to be very specific on the kinds of technologies that we can use mm -hmm. outdoors. Um, it also is like um, touchless water. Um, uh, how do, how do I wash my hands without uh, without having to touch the right. pump? Because I, in the farm, everything is low grade. There is no high tech stuff. So we, we had to swap mm. out all of that. Um, so yeah. both were there and in warehouses, uh, when, uh, when the fruit is coming in and, and we are processing the fruit, there, there is a lot of technology that was deployed yeah. in, a, in a hurry. And we're talking about across 70 warehouses just in the U.S. or is that global? In, in, in our uh, U.S. business, uh, yes. when I say U.S., we call it uh, the Americas, so from Chile to Canada. Okay. We have to, because we have a network of warehouses. Um, the reason why we have so many warehouses is uh, the food grows in all sorts of uh, great regions, right? The, the strawberries mm -hmm. are so uh, tasty, but they, it grows in a very remote place. It may require certain type of soil, certain right. type of atmosphere. Right. It grows in beautiful places. But you just have to get there. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the problem of um, the supply chain is that um, it's a high, highly fresh business, right? So right. we have to have warehouses two hours from where, where we harvest fruit. Mm -hmm. As soon as the fruit comes in, you have to cool the fruit to 33 degrees. And from there, the cold chain picks up. And, and from there, until the consumer, not the customer, consumer buys it, it's actually kept there at a certain temperature. Right. So that complicates the, 
ultra fresh, high speed, high velocity business for us. So um, our warehouses, when you walk in, there is not much fruit in there because you don't want to see any fruit. If you, if you see that fruit is getting racked and stacked, then we are in trouble. <laughs> the fruit yes. comes in and it's, it's, it's cool for two hours and then it gets shipped out. Um, so that's the fast pace that we live in. Yeah, well, I think, and from talking to you about this in in some detail, I was surprised I'd never really, you know, another thoughtless American consumer. I just go to the market and assume that they're incredibly fresh berries because they're Driscolls, um, but they actually are much closer to farm direct to grocery store than most of us realize, isn't it? Right. Yeah. So um, when we harvest the fruit and we feel pack the, the fruit into the clamshells, mm -hmm. we call those pack plastic packages that you buy it from, we call them clamshells because yes. they're like sort of hardy clamshells that protect the fruit. So the harvester directly packs it into that clamshell and then puts it into the trays and makes it into a lot and pallet and ships it. And we take the whole pallet or, or half pallets and ship it to our customers. Mm -hmm. Nobody opens those clamshells until the consumer opens it. So uh, there are a few clamshells our quality assurance team pulls out from each of the pallet. Um, yeah. reviews it and we're using um, quite a, a bit of touchless technology over there to do the quality yes. assurance as well uh, using artificial intelligence and machine learning processes mm -hmm. um, and then once that is done we ship it off to the customer and then the first person to open it is you and me uh, as end consumers. I, I was pretty amazed at that. If I had thought about the supply chain of getting berries from the fields, the, the farm fields to my grocery store, I would assume there were lots more stops and packing and handling in between, and there truly are not. Um, and when you talk about the clamshells, how many of those a year are you shipping in this way? Well, last year in, in our U.S.-based business, we, have, we sold a billion clamshells. One so that's yes. yes, yes. Well, everybody everybody loves their fruit, don't they? So, and you had mentioned one of, there's a new touchless technology that got accelerated in the past year that it does the sort of things that used to be done more manually about like checking sweetness and that sort of thing. Uh, talk about that a little bit. So um, all of our growers actually get the fruit back into our warehouse. So we have to make sure that the quality of the fruit that comes in is at a, at a certain standard. So mm -hmm. we randomly pick out uh, clamshells from individual pallet. And um, what we actually do is we try to measure the size of the fruit, the color of the fruit, and the look and feel of the fruit so it's not crooked. And mm -hmm. then the dirt, and if there are any insects that are there uh, because it's, it's fruit from the, um, from the, the garden. Field. From Directly, the field. So, yeah. Um, and then the last thing we also test is to make sure that the fruit has a certain brick score, which is the sweetness um, mm -hmm. the score that comes out. In, in the, um, before uh, our pandemic, what we were looking at was uh, taking a plastic cover, putting the fruit in it, squishing mm -hmm. it, getting the juice out, and pouring it into a, a, a three inch by two inch machine. And it takes a couple of minutes to uh, read the sugars from that and then gives you a certain value. The brick score right. is zero to 10, it has to be about eight uh, or nine. So um, hmm. the latest technology we have is we dump the entire pad. So it is only, you're actually testing one of the fruits inside right. a clamshell. The new technology is you dump the fruits into this optical sio cup is, is the cup that we use. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it actually throws out the light 
and based on the how light is dispersed it can tell you how much acids are there how many how many mm -hmm. um how much sugar is in there and then it gives us a, a wide variety of information that we had no idea that we could measure so our ah. quality assurance uh, process has improved significantly uh, yes. in the last 20 years so and we continue to do other things as well yeah well this is kind of where um where farming meets data science and machine learning right that's right so mm -hmm. so uh, we just need to understand how the fruit is right so the, the other technology that we also use is um to, that was the taste side of it the second side of it is to look at how does the fruit look like right so Right. How is it green or is it red or is it misshaped or is there any other particles on it? Mm -hmm. So there is a machine that you, it's, it looks like a copier machine. You dump the fruit on it. It takes pictures oh. from all sides. Yeah. And so there is a lot of uh, machine learning process that's happening to say this is the ideal fruit versus this is a crooked fruit and this is the green color and this is the <laughs> right red color that we're looking for. And that's another technology that we're playing. With. So a lot of machine learning aspect that is going on there. Yeah. Well, and um, I want to uh, kind of pivot over and talk a little bit more about, I, I love all this technology production and the role that it plays in, in the main business. Uh, you had mentioned that um, at, at a recent town hall, you were talking about the situation of all the different projects that you had in flight over the past year, that there were, uh, it was, there was an unprecedented amount of work that got done under very disrupted circumstances over the last year. Tell us about some of, some of the leading um, accomplishments that your IS group brought home for Driscoll's. Yeah, so, um... Driscoll's being an uh, agro-tech company and the technology part of the R&D side of it uh, is pretty powerful. I'll talk about that in, in a little while. Now, being an agricultural company, technology was always a black box. Uh, people, were, uh, people were not comfortable with it. They don't mm -hmm. understand it. If it has nothing to do with uh, farms and growing berries, it's, it's just, a, it's just a, a thing that we don't want to pay attention to. Right. So the first half of uh, my... Uh, in at Driscoll's was to educate up to say open up that black box up and, and show the power of what IS can actually do. Yes. Um, as part of that, what we did was we went to all the business units and said, uh, what mm -hmm. are, what platforms or what technology are you using to run your business processes, right? Mm -hmm. So, and um, and the, we created like a value chain map uh, for all the business units. And when, when we got the results back, it was red all over. It was as red as our strawberries. So <laughs> meaning that they, they, they did not have enough digital footprints. In mm -hmm. and, and so what the, our journey was to first take the most common things that, that are across all the business units. Uh, let's uh, think about it. The planning function, the demand planning versus the supply planning, and we are we are a supply constrained business. It's not like a factory, right? Where you can, oh, let's start another shift and we can produce more berries and sell it, right? So yeah. it is limited to the number of farms that we have and the number of plants that we plant in it. Of course. Um, so it's a supply constrained business, but how do you manage the supply and the demand now that's out in the market? And and on top of it, make sure that everybody makes money. The enterprise, meaning mm -hmm. the growers, the customers and us make money. So that is the, the the whole planning exercise that we do. Different teams does it in different regions and business units does it in a different way. So mm -hmm. we were able to go and select a partner that can actually solve that for us. So that's one of the big projects that we did. 
The second major one was to implement a warehouse management um, system oh, in, 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 in that's the company. A very good, yeah, yeah the, the warehouse management uh, system that we were running was a 19-year-old hand-built product. When we were a small company and, and when the company had one warehouse to run, right? So right. when we compare to what to what is in the industry and what mm-hmm. innovations have happened in the industry, it was like night and day. So that was another one that, that was kind of, so there was pretty significant large scale projects that were initiated and there was many uh, low hanging fruit projects that we took out. Um, so that's, that's the, uh, and being able to pull all that off in a, in a period where everybody was working from home. I know. Um, it was, it was an amazing um, thing to, I am very fortunate to be surrounded by the people I am, uh, both mm-hmm. um, my leadership team and my team. Yeah, that uh, enabled me to actually get that success. It's it's their success overall. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you mentioned that, and it, this probably got a standing ovation. But in 13 years, you had never the company had never had a situation where not only were all the operating projects wrapped up, but you pulled in a couple of new, new ones, five to seven beyond that, and mastered those as well. Right, that's the statement from the president of the company in a company town hall. So, Isn't that something? Yeah, of course, it would be lovely to assume that he won't assume that you need to do that again next year and do better. <laughs> so as so long what, as they have money to spend, we will take yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> we are ready. So let's talk a, a little bit about that. What are some of your um, your big plans for the coming year for the rest of 21 and into 2022? What as the global CIO uh, are the big projects on your list? So the, the company actually grew uh, organically, right? So they were a California-based California company. Then they decided to be uh, an America's business, so they expanded to Mexico, Chile, Peru, and all of those other countries in Canada. Yes. And then they, they said, okay, we're going to go into Canada, uh, Europe, and they now started doing business in Europe. And uh, the latest venture is into, um, into China. So mm-hmm. the business units are in various... Uh, growth patterns right now. So Dota is a very mature adult. It, it carries the whole company. It makes all the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look at our um, European business, it's a it's a teenager. It's growing. It doesn't know how to do it. It's figuring things out because uh, yeah. Europe has so many compli- complexities. They are going through this local for local trends. Yes. You have to grow locally and all that. So that there's other complications there. Yeah. And China is a toddler. It just came off. It's growing fast. It has five teeth every other day. Mm-hmm. Um, it's figuring out it, 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 the hands that it's seeing, it's, it's hands. So, mm-hmm. um, and we are very bullish about our Chinese business that, that's actually growing. Uh, our Australia and New Zealand business is also pretty steadily growing. Um, yeah. So they are in different states. Um, so what ended up happening was our platform or technology implementations were was aligned with how the company is growing. Mm-hmm. Now the company has come to a certain stage that there, there has to be uh, common platforms across the whole company. All the back office functions have to be put into one platform and given a, give flexibility to the front office so that they can go to market as, as it is required by those markets. Yes. So what we are trying to do is we, we are trying to um, engage one of the big five companies and, and have them come in and Take, understand the capabilities that we have today. Yeah. What capabilities the company would want to have, not today, but 
five years from now and 10 years from now so that they can run. I see, uh, yeah. So thinking ahead, because it's a, mm-hmm. I, could, I could easily say, yeah, we're just going to replace this ERP because it's a small ERP platform. Mm-hmm. We need to strengthen that. But I'm taking it one level higher and saying, no, no, let's stop. Let's figure out where are the where do we require to digitize because we're running our systems and, and, and processes mm-hmm. through Excel sheets. And what capabilities that we have that we need to be for meaning the technology that we have. So so uh, if I could combine both the digitization process as well as digital transformation all in one yes. and try to make it into one big project, go to the board, explain the strategy to them and ask for money once get all of this work done in the next two, three years so the company can reap all its benefits for the next five, seven, 10 years. Yes. So that's the strategy that we're engaged on right now. Well, it's, it's an interesting, um, uh, it's an inter- interesting conundrum to be working with the board for a private family owned and operated company, I would imagine. And right. I know the, um, they publicly disclosed that the revenues are about $4 billion. Um, but we when we talked earlier, you'd mentioned that the board members, you're still in a process of helping them understand the difference between a big digital transformation and then just digitizing different parts of the business. How do you go about that? What have you found is very effective in working with your board? So, uh, and, and as part of the board's role, they are always challenging you. So you, you, <laughs> you don't want to engage a board that is a cakewalk, right? So you tell them and they say, prove That's it's a good probably, point. Yeah. They, they, they are doing their due diligence. I, I learn a lot coming out of a board meeting because mm-hmm. you, you, they'll bring up perspectives that see as a CIO, I would probably not think of them because I'm a technology guy, right? So, right. Um, so I, I think that this is a great board that is actually challenging you at the right level. So what we did is uh, opening up that black box is what I said in the, in the beginning of this conversation where yeah. trying to under, help them understand what um, what technology can do to the business, right? And and what mm-hmm. we are trying to do in the, in the technology phase. So we scheduled a few learn, lunch and learn sessions with the board um, mm-hmm. at that, at, at their, that meets at their eye level. Um, we wrote a paper uh, around what the digitization process that is tuned just for Driscoll's, uh, mm-hmm. here, here are all the processes at the highest levels and, and that can be digitized and could increase the efficiency of the company mm-hmm. by X factor. So without going into a lot of details, we went through multiple of those sessions. So, and there are some curious board members that actually reach out, reach back out and, and say, mm-hmm. hey, Kiran, I didn't completely understand what you were saying. Can we spend an hour? Which was, um, which was very, um, satisfying that it's not not yes. only they are they paying attention to you but also uh, they're reaching back and, and asking questions right you'll see right. that uh, there is an engaged audience when there are questions coming up right so if they said someone uh, if you're just giving a speech and uh, i know i just well i i write one of the things i do with my friends at cio.com is i write a column about technology leaders in the boardroom and one of the um and it's I, i've interviewed a lot of experts now in this field and i was surprised to learn that that board members get very like everybody else they get bored and frustrated if you just come and 
try to present information and then leave. They really want to have that conversation because of that oversight and the, the governance responsibilities that they bring into that room. And I, I think over the last few years, CIOs have been spending more and more time with their boards, which is it's obviously been good for Driscoll's and it it's I think it's good for a lot of other companies as well. Um, let's talk a little, let's pivot over and talk a little bit about the culture, the work culture at Driscoll's. Um, I'm always curious about that, how, how you managed to maintain and keep that strong during all the difficulties of the last year and a half and more. And how would you describe the work culture there um, in IT and throughout the company as well? So, um, um, Driscoll's is a very vision, mission, values-driven company. The vision mm -hmm. of the company, uh, the, the vision and mission of the company are so simple, but yet so powerful. The vision of the company is to become world's very company. Simple, but simple. it's such a there's so much involved in it. And, then, <laughs> and, the, yeah. and the mission of the company is to. Um, uh, Mission of the company is so we would want to um, uh, what was that to delight our consumers mm -hmm. uh, through an alignment between our berry growers and con uh, customers, right? So the alignment being the key word, and that's where IS becomes the most important department there, right? So um, based on those two uh, vision and mission, we we every one of us is driven by that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's, it's really exciting because it has, you know, that idea of feeding the world something that the world really wants. And it's just, I think everybody likes to feel an appreciation and a level of mission and draw to it. But you'd also mentioned that it's a very personal culture, that it's very face to face. And that's like your, you, there'll be one salesperson who's got the relationship with a grower. How do you see that changing going forward is, are there places now where technology is able to insert itself a little more helpfully into that situation? Yeah, it's not only technology inserting now, the new generation of growers and, and, and salespeople are demanding it. In the past, it was all, um, the, the team members actually show up at five o'clock in the morning and, and they, the growers actually call the sales folks to say, hey, by the way, we are actually going to harvest about um, 10 pallets today. Uh, make sure that you go confirm your orders to Costco or, or Whole Foods or whoever that we're selling it mm -hmm. to that day, right? So, and, and, and the new generation comes in and they says, I don't want to give you a phone call. Just give me an app that I can just upload it and change it. So, and and uh, the business on our sales side, they're also saying that I don't want to type in what the guy actually told me on the phone. So what we did was we enabled a mobile app that the, the new growers and grower manager, ranch managers, they go in and then just enter the values. It mm -hmm. comes directly into our ERP system. So we, we eliminated approximately 16,000 hours of calls every month. So it's wow. all getting seamlessly. So we are trying to find those this was one of the low-hanging projects that we took on, like yes, I'm saying, yes. not just the big boulders of warehouse management systems and, and right, right. planning systems, but uh, yeah. Well, and that's but, something that I think CIOs, they probably, probably don't really want anyone to mention this or even talk about it, but in a lot of ways, your own sensibilities 
as how you market to your internal and external customers is much higher in your mind these days. And I think of one of the best kind of descriptions I ever heard of good marketing was years ago, where they said it's all about giving people what they never realized, what they never knew they always wanted. Right. And I think when you deliver some of that low-hanging technology fruit, essentially you're doing, that's a great, de pun intended, I guess, since we're talking right. about Driscoll's, uh, when you are able to do that, you're actually delivering something that, so you can delight and surprise people that way. Um, were there, over the uh, past year, were there strategic tech priorities, projects you wanted to get done that had to shift around on your priority list? Is there anything that is more important to you now than it would have been, say, a year and a half ago? Um, I can't think of any anyone, any of those things particularly. Um, okay. we, we created those strategies and we stuck to them. As a matter of fact, like uh, you mentioned and I, I said before, we actually did more than what, what was expected out of us. That's right, um, that's right. You, so, um, you over-delivered. <laughs> Yeah, I hope I didn't set a high expectation there. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think too late on that one. Right. Uh, every time I've been involved in anything as an editor in chief, for instance, getting involved with the board, the minute you tell them that, well, we managed to do this, this, and this, and we won these awards this year, and they want to, you know, the next question is, is oh well, what are you going to do for us next year? So. <laughs> yeah. So I think the. With the big picture, so we, I think the next two, three years is going to be extremely busy for us. So if, yes. if what we think um, is, a, if we want to do is approved by the board at the end of this year, the next three years are going to be, uh, we're going to be on a, on a train that's going to move very fast. Yes. Well, and you don't get to be on the fast moving train if you don't have a great group of engineers, right. data engineers and staff and all that sort of thing. Tell us about uh, your talent strategies and what you're what you're seeing as your challenging areas these days and what you hope to do about it in the coming year. Um, the one thing that we actually um, changed as part of last year was um, we are now trying to recruit people from uh, wherever they're available. So we're, we're going where the talent is. So I have engineers from Canada um, that, that are working remote. I have engineers in Pennsylvania where we have mm -hmm. uh, very little uh, operations. So we're going into places where we can find resources um, that can help this company to be a next-gen company. Right, so that these are the people, the talent that, that mm -hmm. can take us there. So that's that's um, that that was a uh, major uh, change that we did. We were always being a uh, global company, so we recruited talent everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. We um, were always being a flex-based department, so people want to work from home a day or two. In the past, before uh, the pandemic, we were always flexible that way. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just took that uh, up a notch. So we're just expanding yes. that. Yes. Well, and um, I know related to that, one of the technologies that you mentioned is a very important upcoming um, issue for Driscoll's is track and trace. Mm -hmm. And I've heard about that like in the seafood industry uh, where it's track your catch and that sort of thing. What can you tell us about that and the sort of plans you have for more of that kind of technology over the next, over the coming year or two. Yeah, so um, the produce um, industry, as an industry, is trying to get to a standard. Um, uh, it's PTI, um, 
they feel that that's an organization that uh, comes back and says, here are the standards of uh, what is the information that you have to put in. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the, when we started saying, okay, we're going to abide by that standard, we tried to look for a solid solution providers and we couldn't find one single per, uh, company that can provide that solution. So yeah. we're try- what we're trying to do is we're trying to solve some of those escape velocity problems, right? So that the things, uh, what, what should be the type of uh, label that need to be printed and, and pasted and, and, be, and it, it becomes a little bit more complicated because we are actually packing on the, uh, on the field. So whatever yes. labels that we have to put on, it has to be put on in the farm. And then so, yeah. and the farm labor is, is not cheap. It is not easy to find. And any extra items that you want to add to those only adds more um, problems to the growers, right? So you have to be very cognizant on adding more work to the harvesters plate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I think we are at a place where we, uh, we, I think we have a good solution. It's a combination of multiple platforms that that, mm-hmm. that are going to be able to pull all that information together. Yes. Um, and so both uh, Amazon and uh, some of the other technologies that are available in the market, we're trying to put that solution together using mm-hmm. those. Do you find, are you needing to bring in more software and data engineers because there is, it almost seems to me like there may be a pendulum swing back to doing a little bit more custom development in-house for very specific solutions. You can't just go to one of the big ERP providers and have them do the perfect system for you to use because you're, you know, you're the fresh food slice of the food industry, which is huge. Um, how do you, how do you approach that? Yeah, it's extremely important um, to understand your business and what is so unique mm-hmm. about your business. Right. Um, everything that is standard. Um, that that like uh, the whole financials part of it, the warehouse part of it, uh, it's pretty standard. It's been an industry standard for a while now. Do not try to engineer that in the company. Uh, and that's what uh, some of our company uh, team members were trying to do in the past. So yes. it, it, what ends up happening is there is no way you could compete with the innovation that's happening out there um, with the limited number of engineers that you have, right? Mm-hmm. So that So you want to make sure that you take advantage of what's happening outside. Um, but to understand um, what is that unique requirements that our business has and only work on those and bring mm-hmm. in engineers to understand, first understand the business, why it is unique and understand and build those technologies in-house and own it. Right, um, right. But then you need to make sure that you have a strong integration platform that ties all of these platforms together because the, right. you don't want to create an environment where information is siloed that's just going to be a depth of yourself. So I, you don't want to do that. Um, yeah. The first thing when I came to Driscoll's was to make sure that we had a strong integration platform in place. Um, mm-hmm. And then we started, the, in the past, it used to be the ERP platform, the center of universe and everybody, everything else is rotating around it. Right. These mm-hmm. days, in my mind, and then probably people have other opinions, but having a strong integration platform is the center of universe and then everything else, uh, big, small, think- and everything is just going to rotate around it. Well, and any time you start, we whenever I get into conversations about um, IT modernization or taking care of technical debt issues, 
Uh, you're exactly right. I mean, without that strong integration platform layer, it becomes so people intensive and you, nobody can find that much talent to be doing. And also it's not fun work. You want to have your data and software engineers using all that innovative brain power to come up with new approaches rather than doing a lot of manual labor, essentially, from a technology standpoint. We got a question from our, our uh, attentive listening audience here, wanting to know with all the change that is going on uh, at Driscoll's, how are you handling organizational change management with your business partners? And you had mentioned that you're bringing in, you're considering now some of the big management providers. You've got four or five of them to come in and talk about the organizational strategy and to make those big picture plans for going forward. But in the meantime, do you have, what is your particular philosophy about organizational change management? It's a great question. Um, it is. Um, it's not an easy answer single answer for that right no. so <laughs> those um, tend to be the best questions aren't they the ones that, that you have to say well let me think about that it, it, the, the answer is very situational as well so mm -hmm. when we are going through and this is a question that we are all facing and the business is also facing mm -hmm. when we're going through this next two to three year big enterprise business application implementation which is not erp or single platform there are certain roles that, that, that will become uh, irrelevant. There are certain roles that, that, that we didn't have that become, uh, that open up. And there are new skill sets that, that would be required to, uh, uh, to be brought in in-house, either mm -hmm. developed or brought in-house. Um, so as a matter of fact, as part of this whole um, EBA or enterprise business applications, um, implementation, we are also looking at change management and organizational structural changes that we are okay. looking at. Mm -hmm. um, for example, um, there was no uh, business uh, and uh, there was no team sitting between the business and IS before, uh, mm -hmm. and that, that was a gap. Uh, we were actually filling that gap based on, uh, based on some of the pulling some of the resources from the business and our, my business relationship managers trying to step into that role yeah. But having a counterpart who can speak both languages, the business language as well as IS languages, you yeah. know, uh, equally was a gap. So as we are deploying more and more technology, that is becoming extremely clear to our uh, business partners that, hey, guys, we need to have somebody like that. Because this is not a one and done technology implementation, but this technology is going to live on even mm -hmm. after the implementation. So they are now starting to think of permanent roles that yes. need to be created now on the business side that will first partake in, in doing these implementations part uh, to this business transformation, digital transformation. Mm -hmm. And then eventually once that is done, they, here, are the, here are the activities that they have to take on once that is done. So right. whether it's process re-engineering or process improvements, um, in the past they were called business process owners, right, BPOs. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know what the latest term for that is, but I the roles, the... I, I'm trying to describe the roles that, that we would probably need. And, and yeah. we're thinking through all of that. It's not easy. It's yes. 
No, mm -hmm. it's it's not easy stuff. That's probably why the the question there's a I think there's a lot of interesting conversation around it, and I think a lot of this too is driven by all the agile ways of working that have come into being in the last several years, but I think especially in the past year. And I don't just mean agile technology methodology kind of stuff. I mean the actual getting across to the businesses that they are just as involved and responsible with the technology projects as the information services department is. That's a new way of thinking for some business partners, isn't it? As a matter of fact, the term that I use is all the projects have to be business led. It, okay. There is no IT projects or IS project. There is none. Uh, it has to be, mm -hmm. there has to be a value proposition that the business actually has to bring to us. Yeah. And then we become the partner to have that uh, um, recovered, right? So that whatever um, value proposition that they're putting, we partner with mm -hmm. the business to make that happen, to, yes. get, to realize that value. Yeah. Um, and that sounds a little counterintuitive. It's, it feels like uh, why why does IS department give up control uh, when uh, when they they have the keys and they should be able to dictate what project, what projects they need. Yeah, but yeah, I I can assure you you'll be very unsuccessful if if you go at IT led projects. That I have never seen a successful IT project done if business. <laughs> I know well, we're all familiar with all the kind of the awful statistical numbers about level of failed IT projects and that sort of thing. Um, there's a lot of analyst organizations that, you know, have made a lot of bread and butter telling IT leaders and managers how bad they are at getting projects done. And now then they're not projects, it's business products that mm -hmm. everyone is working on it. It kind of, it sort of just changes the whole mental mindset, doesn't it? Right, make sure that your business is successful. You will get the credit you deserve at any, mm -hmm. any So that's why when business is leading and you're, you're making them successful, leading yeah. those uh, yes. projects or outcomes, it, you will be recognized no matter what. So don't worry about that. Keep, right, keep, keep exactly. Well, and uh, I think that's why you'll we'll see going forward, hopefully, you know, CIOs like yourself and other IT leaders will be having far fewer of those conversations about IT as an OPEX cost center and more as a strategic business partner. And we've, we've all been, I remember from, you know, the last decade or more at CIO Magazine, we were writing about that constantly. It takes a really long time for these concepts to kind of sink in and become reality, I think for both sides of the business, for the business and the technology areas. Right. Okay, let me see. Let's, um, let us uh, talk a little bit about um, data management and data projects. What sort of data strategies do you have under development going forward? That is something I find that cybersecurity Customer relationship management software and data management tend to be, they, they take up a lot of headspace for CIOs. And I, I know when we talked about this earlier, you said, yep, that's the three. Uh, so tell me about your data strategy. Um, our data, I have to be very honest, is, uh, has been very siloed because our systems mm -hmm. were very siloed. And then the, the platforms that we deployed was very siloed. So we with the introduction of these integration platforms, we are now trying to sort that out to make sure that the data actually gets to become information rather than become staying as data, right? So 
Mm-hmm. Uh, as as we, we are connecting the data, we are inserting the master data. Uh, who can actually ins- put the master data in? Who manages that? What is the governance around it? And who owns that data? Right. So that's a we start. We are very early in that journey. To to be honest, we we are mm-hmm. laying down the technology footprint right now using AWS Data Lake, uh, pulling all the data from different um, different systems that we have and trying to gather some meaning out of it. Um, mm-hmm. So um, we have, there is long ways for us to get there, but um, yeah. at least we've started is all I can say. Well, and I've never, I've never noticed that there's any great um, reward that being an early first move, mover in new data technologies has really, it doesn't deliver those benefits. It's one of those things where yeah. as the technology, as you mentioned, the integration technology platforms all of that makes such a difference, and um, the the kind of products and the technologies that are coming out from the vendors and providers, actually, there is a lot of that that advances every year. So I don't, I, I wonder, I don't think organizations get penalized anymore for not having the latest and greatest data management. That, that's technology. true, and also it is div- driven by the business, right? You have to know what you want to see. Yes. What, what information do you want? It, it has to be driven by business um, leaders or department leaders because uh, you don't want IT to create some KPIs for finance department. It doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So the, this is where the business has to be empowered and educated on what kind of insights would they like to get because that mm-hmm. all of that inf- data and information is sitting in your backyard and mm-hmm. they have to take, um, they have to drive that within the mm-hmm. And, and well, I, I force my business to demand from me what insights would they like to have from me. Um, good, good the, for what, you. What, what, when you walk into your office and there is a key in your office, what are the five, six uh, KPIs or uh, information mm-hmm. that you want to see displayed on that so you can start off your day checking that off? Yes. Uh, I don't want to be the one who should be driving that. They should be right. saying, I want to see this information. Uh, and and that that that's that's how the BI platform should be built out, not not based on technology. Exactly. Yes, that's one of those problems that um, IT leaders have gotten into over time, where they present the executive dashboard with all the information we think you want to see, and then nobody uses it. So. It can be the big problem. Well, let me do for our wrap-up question here. Tell me about, with all the disruptions of the past year and what we've all been through, what has this what has this taught you as a leader? You have been in CIO and, and global CIO roles for a while now. And when you look back over the last year, how has all of all of this uproar, has it changed you or advanced you as a leader? I think one of the biggest things that I... Um, enjoyed or, or, or sorry learned a lot is how, how to be very patient um, you have all of these pressures coming from your business because they were um, underserved until now and they want yeah. to get everything done yesterday mm-hmm. and then you have this pandemic hit and people are trying to figure out where are they working what are they working and what times and they can work and can, cannot work mm-hmm. and um, so there were a lot of things that we had to figure out. Um, mm-hmm. So as I started um, uh, this meeting with, uh, how do you plan uh, for a hybrid workspace? The yes. four themes, 
are some of the themes that come to my mind is that make sure that your 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 attention to people is personal mm-hmm. make sure your expectations um, your own expectations of how people should be and matches with expectations of people who are working with you your peers yes. and and then build a trust and just trust your talent those are the things that uh, that those are very important lessons for me in the last one mm-hmm. well and i think too that the um the popularity and the rewards that come out of authentic communication between leaders and their staffs i think that whole dynamic has kind of softened it changed it it's expanded a lot in the previous in the in what we've all been through in the last year i just think that there's a lot more empathy and authenticity between leaders and cios get to a certain point in their career and they feel like they're not supposed to show weakness and they're not supposed to not be the one with the answer and now we come to find out that it's much more trustworthy if you can show up and say i i don't know the exact answer to this what do you think that's vulnerable showing vulnerability is extremely important for me being human to mm-hmm. to, to be able to mm-hmm. say that um here are all my faults and and mm-hmm. i know for sure uh, all of us have done mistakes yes and you grew to making mistakes nobody had been perfect and and say mm-hmm. hey you know i am who i am because i have been perfect yes uh, that i have never heard that so <laughs> um and actually showing some vulnerability and saying that hey i'm just like you mm-hmm. i was lucky enough to be where i was to be in this position yes and, and as a matter of fact uh, anybody and everybody could be doing what i'm doing it's nothing mm-hmm. special yeah um, i was just a little lucky to be in here so show, mm-hmm. showing vulnerability is is actually very important for me uh, yes to Good. be honest um and and build that trust Excellent. Well, I think that's probably why you have the good reputation that you do, Karen. And uh thank you so much for joining us here today. It's really been lovely talking to you. Thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. Absolutely. If you joined us a little bit late today, don't despair. You can watch the full episode uh later today both here on LinkedIn, but also on cio.com and on our YouTube IDG Tech Talk channel. CIO Leadership Live will also be available as an audio pod- podcast by tomorrow wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation with CIO Kieran Venkamamidi, who is with Driscolls, the on their way to becoming the berry providers to the world, and that you'll come back for our next episode of CIO Leadership Live, which will be 2 weeks from today on June 30th, again at noon Eastern, and I'll be joined 2 weeks from now by Moshkan Lefev, who is the Chief Technology and Operations Officer at Travelers. Thanks again to our friends at Cisco for sponsoring this episode and do take a moment to check in and uh sign up and subscribe on our YouTube channel IDG Tech Talk where you will find all of our previous shows and at this point I believe we're up over 75 of these conversations that are all waiting for you there on the YouTube IDG Tech Talk channel. Thanks so much for joining us. Stay well and we'll see you here again in 2 weeks. Take care. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.